This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Chef Andy Murray is our very special guest. Uh, he, amazing talent. And his latest book, his latest, is Eat, Drink, and Be Murray, A Feast of Family Fun and Favorites by Chef Andy Murray. And it is a must-get. You can get it tomorrow. You can pre-order it right now. Get two. Get one for yourself and, and one for a good friend. It's a family cookbook full of Murray favorites with uh, forward by his brother, Bill Murray. Chef Andy, how are you? Good morning, Brent. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, well, listen, I'm doing terrific, and congrats on this. Everybody who's got a peek at it is uh, is raving about it. And uh, if you can, give us a little overview. Uh, this is a book that's based on a lot of it is uh, family recipes. There's family stories. There's restaurants I've worked at, people I've cooked for. There's Frank Sinatra. There's Princess Margaret. But, you know, and then there's my sisters and brothers and mom and dad. How long in the making, and, you know, I guess you could say your whole life, but in, in essence, when did you sit down and say, you know what, I'm going to do this book, and uh, between that time and this time, how long has it been? Since when someone first told me I should do it, which was Karen Duffy, the uh, old uh, MTV DJ. She's not old. She's still beautiful. Yeah. But she said, yeah, she, I did Thanksgiving dinner at Billy's house three years ago. And she said, you should write a cookbook. And I didn't think a whole lot about it. And then the pandemic showed up, and, and three other people told me to, to write a cookbook. So uh, I went back to Duff, and she hooked me up with an agent, and uh, I've been working on it since. You know, I think it's great. You know, you mentioned the, the pandemic. Uh, during the pandemic, a lot of people got into a lot of things, and cooking was one of them. So I think that there's, there's a need, there's a want for unique recipes. And, you know, certainly uh, your book has all of these stories attached to it. I think the pandemic launched a lot of uh, amateur chefs. Would you agree with that? You know, we're all kind of amateur chefs in many ways. <laughs> that, that's all right. You know, if they if they can show you how to do something different, it's great. But this my book is, you know, it's a lot of comfort food into it. There's a, there's stories that go along with these these recipes. There's some of my sister's recipes, some of my mom's recipes, uh, it's, and and the restaurants I've worked in. Yeah, the first one, if I remember correctly, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, you were like 11 or 10 or 11, 12 years old, and you were a busboy, and it was uh, it was somewhere at a local restaurant, and uh, do I have that right? Am I mixing you up? No, you're absolutely right. That was my first, I was caddying, and a friend asked me to, to cover for him because he was going on vacation, and if I could bust tables. Well, I fell in love with the restaurant business like the first day, and then I was washing dishes, and by the time I was 14, I was a short order cook. Yeah, I mean, I, I, amazing. 
I mean, to start uh, so young like that. I, I mean, what do you what do you learn? What's the first thing you learn about uh, about people's tastes when you're uh, when you're a busboy? I, I imagine you're you're soaking a lot of this in, and it's not just as a chef where you're learning, but all of these different jobs, all of these different chores that you're doing as a kid. I'm sure you pick things up. Oh, you pick up a lot of things. You pick up what, you know, you, uh, when you're busting tables, you see what they don't eat. So you figure, well, I'm not going to make that because they're not eating that. And the stuff that just they flies off the, the plate, that, that's fine. But you can you learn how to mop a floor. You learn how to wash dishes. You learn how to show up and shut up, you know? Yeah. Let me remind folks, if they're just tuning in or if they're just turning on their radio a little, little late, Eat, Drink, and Be Murray is the name of the book, A Feast of Family Fun and Favorites by Chef Andy Murray. It's a must-get. Please, everyone, get two of these. Get And Christmas is coming up. There's a great Christmas gift for everybody. It's a great Thanksgiving gift, too. I'm sure there's some recipes in there that you could use for there. But Chef... Andy Murray is our very special guest, and the, the forward is by uh, who better to have uh, write a forward than your brother Bill Murray? Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, what's B- Bill's favorite recipe in this book? Is there one that stands out? Uh, I would have to go with the peanut butter mayonnaise and lettuce sandwich. <laughs> it's it's weird, but it's like it's what we grew up on. I can make it anywhere, and if my brothers are in the room, they'll slide over and and they'll they'll grab one. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. I, give us something else. Give, give us another uh, a little uh, something in there in this book that you're not going to find in any other cookbook. Uh, is there a, a recipe that stands out? Uh, my my sister's baked beans are killer. They're just they're they're you put them in the oven at the, before you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and the whole house smells like this great bacon beans sugar smell uh yeah that's that's a real winner well listen i know you're on a schedule i'm not going to keep you too long you got a lot of people to talk to but i i'm i'm excited about this book and, and again i'm literally getting two and i i got a friend who's a a huge fan of your brothers and he will absolutely uh, love the forward i'm sure as all of us will but uh, you're uh, listen you're um Putting out a book at a, at the right time, a lot of people are, are hungry for good—no pun intended—but hungry for good recipes, and uh, and looking to do it. What else should we know about this book before we let you go? And uh, and is there another one? Is there enough recipes left over where you said, "Geez, you know, I got enough for a, a second uh, second book or another version of this"? Oh, I've got enough. I've cut this. You know, I basically I had you know or 500 recipes and you know that I've, I've done over the years and I basically cut this down to about 60 recipes and, and stories that go along with them you know there's Princess Margaret's in there Frank Sinatra's in there it's, it's, it's pretty crazy uh, listen congratulations on everything it's and uh, who else did you say and there's cocktails Hey, that's uh, listen. That's a bonus. That's just a bonus when you get a cookbook and you you got all these great recipes uh, and you got some cocktails in there. Uh, just incredible. Uh, what's your website, um, social media site, if you have one? Uh, and if you do, please give one. Uh, Eat, drink, and be Murray on Instagram uh, and uh, Facebook, and you can find that. Uh, the uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, Books out to Amazon that you can get it and they'll deliver it tomorrow. Awesome. 
Just absolutely awesome. Congrats. Thrilled to have you. Uh, thanks for being here, uh, Chef Andy, and we'll talk to you again real soon. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Chef Andy Murray, everyone, is uh, has been our very special guest. Bill Murray's brother. Uh, how much more can you say? Eat, Drink, and Be Murray is the name of the book. A Feast of Family Fun and Favorites. Uh, no, no hiding uh, the family connection. That even sounds like him, right? Does he sound like Bill Murray? And, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's nice when you don't have to hide from the, uh, from the sibling or from the relative. You know, a lot of times you talk to somebody and they're like, hey, I'm my own person. I don't want to hear about my father or my brother or my sister, you know, whoever the, the famous person. He, he doesn't, yeah, he, he doesn't care. He's, uh, his brother wrote the forward, and why wouldn't he? Why not, um, you know, tap into Bill Murray fans to pick up an interesting and a unique book, uh, cookbook, that a lot of people uh, are, are going to enjoy. They're going to enjoy the, the stories. And, you know, I've heard stories just over the years about, about him. He's a character. He's a real, uh, real character. His mother, Lucille, taught him how to cook uh, bacon, and, uh, you know, he, he touched base on uh, the fact that his sister had uh, baked beans and it tasted, uh, you know, it, it smelt like that uh, throughout the house and you, and you could uh, smell the bacon. So I assume there's a lot of bacon in the, uh, in the baked beans. But the, uh, he said the one rule, and I'm reading this now, you never leave the room when they're making baking because as soon as you do, it'll burn. And, uh, and it's, <laughs> that's, that's true about baking. Uh, about bacon. And, uh, you know, a guy who started out as a busboy at 11. By the way, is that legal? Are you allowed to have a kid work as a busboy at 11 years old? I, I don't know. He wasn't complaining because he learned. And like you said, you know, you get to, you get to see what people aren't, uh, aren't making. And by 14, he was a short order cook. And, uh, you know, listen, good family, interesting family. And... Um, He's, uh, he's, he's worked in a lot of restaurants over the years, and he became known for his delicious and family-friendly uh, meals with his popular Murray Brothers Caddyshack restaurants in St. Augustine, Florida, and uh, also in Illinois, uh, you know, somewhere near, I don't know, remember exactly where it is. Oh, here it is, uh, Rosemont, Illinois. I don't know how the proximity between that and Chicago, but he... Um, uh, you know, these are Chicago guys. I mean, that's Second City is where Bill Murray uh, made his, uh, you know, really made his name before Saturday Night Live. And I, I got a list here, too, uh, uh, a wide uh, assortment of recipes, including Murray French toast, chicken hash, tempting tomato pie, um, Caddyshack golf balls. I assume they're, I, 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 I hope... Their, their meatballs, Andy's chicken vegetable soup, uh, grilled pimento cheese sandwich, uh, Lucille's fried chicken, South Carolina, what is that, pa uh, Papadel, I don't know what the hell that is, uh, key lime pie, pineapple upside down cake, 19th hole, signature drink at Murray Brothers Caddyshack, uh, Bloody Bowl, uh, it's, uh, it's called Frank McKay, signing off. Uh, Chef Andy Murray, brother of Bill Murray, has been our very special guest. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Gene Cornish is our very special guest. And uh, what a, a what a career the Rascals have had and uh, just a legendary East Coast band, legendary international band. Let's forget about East Coast, but uh, we we always on Long Island. We always kind of look at them as one of ours. I don't know why. I think because they had such a footprint here, and uh, you know they really weren't from around here. They were from you know Jersey, and uh, and we just uh, we always adopted them, and uh, and for good reason. You'll be able to see them at the theater uh, in Westbury. And uh, in Westbury, uh, New York, and if you're listening from outside, uh, fly up there and, and check these guys out. Sunday, November third, uh, at the NYCB Theater at and Old that's Westbury. November thirteenth. That's thirteenth. Thirteenth. Okay. Oh, uh, stand corrected. Uh, Gene Cornish, how are you? Hey, good to hear from you all. You know, the Rascals got their first break in the Hamptons at the Barge, and when we, when we came, became successful, I bought. A house for my parents in Westbury, Long Island. No kidding. Wow. What happened uh, to the house? Did you sell it? Uh, I sold it in 1980, finally, when everyone passed away. See, I, I always wonder I, I always wonder if the people who live there now realize uh, the history behind that. I, for example, your, your childhood at home and Felix's childhood at home, uh, I, I, you know, are you— uh, are, are there plaques at least there? Are there something there that commemorate, or are they just kind of? Uh, no, there's been at least two or three different owners since since I was there. My parents are laid to rest in Westbury, also. Yeah, I just uh, you know, listen, what a what a career! I, I should have said Rock and Roll Hall of Famers too. I mean that uh, that was a no brainer for for you guys to be there. I, you have to look back and be very proud of what you guys did, the footprint you put uh, on there, and the fingerprint. And you know, you, you're still getting new fans uh, every year. People hear your songs and they pick up. I, I imagine you're very happy about how your career turned out. Oh, gee, my couldn't have been more blessed, and you know. The fact that people still want to hear us and see us is just amazing and such a blessing. Yeah. Well, listen, I, uh, you know, I'm I'm one who kind of grew up on your music. I yeah, came a little late. I was born in '67, but I've watched all the all the uh, uh, the appearances, the TV appearances that you did, and and I got to think of what uh, what it would have been like nowadays if you were on the Ed Sullivan Show and and that many people saw you. <laughs> It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay. Let me bring everyone back. Gene Cornish. Uh, once again, you could see the, the Rascals uh, on November 13th 
at Old uh, West Ferry at the uh, theater at Old West Ferry. Felix and Gene uh, will be there uh, playing all the hits live in concert. Uh, Frank McKee here, much more importantly, Gene Cornish. Gene, I was asking you uh, before uh, before the break here, before the uh, cutoff, um, about the Ed Sullivan show. And, I, you know, back then I imagined 30 million people were watching the Ed Sullivan show, uh, not like it would be today with, with thousands of stations. Well, you know, it was on Sunday evening, every Sunday at 8 p.m. on CBS, which is Channel 2 in Rochester, New York. And I remember as a young kid, uh, when I had my bands when I was 13, 14, would watch Ed Sullivan show with my parents, and it'd be at Everly Brothers, Elvis Presley, Buddy Holly, uh, a lot of action. My mom and dad took me to uh, New York City for an audition one time when I was about 15. And we're walking down Broadway, and Ed Sullivan comes out of the uh, Jack Dempsey restaurant. And my mother, with no filter, runs up to him. She goes, you don't know who I am, but my son's going to be on your show someday. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Little did she know. That must have been a, a, a proud moment for them. Uh, did your Were your parents supportive of, uh, of your music early on? It sounds like your mom was, for sure. Oh, my mom and dad were my big, biggest supporters, yeah. Totally, 100%. Take me to rehearsals, buy me equipment. You know, and we were we were very blue-collar, so we didn't have an, had a lot of extra money, but we always had money for guitars and amps and tuxedos. We wore tuxedos in those days. It, was, there a, was there a sense of confidence throughout the band? To me, just watching you perform and, and you, I, the, whole, the whole crew, I, there was just a confidence that went along with, uh, with the band that, uh, that it, most bands didn't have. Uh, it, was, that, was that something you noticed early on as a unit, or did that develop through playing? Well, uh, you know, it was different in those days. In those days, you played six nights a week in a club. And you did four or five sets a night. Now bands play once a month if they're lucky. So we were able to make a living. But we played for months and months before we got a record deal. So we were very, very confident and very tight and very inventive. Do you remember the moment you felt like you quote-unquote made it in, uh, in music? Was there, was there a particular moment? Was it a time period? Well, I mean... Because of the gold records and all that, but I remember Dino Donnelly, the drummer, saying to everybody in the band and doing an interview he was doing, he said, uh, we just did the Ed Sullivan show. Once you're on the Ed Sullivan show with Senor Wences, you know you made it in the music business. <laughs> I, listen, he he, he uh, said a little tongue in cheek, but you're not kidding. You know, once you're on Ed Sullivan, you could have a career after. How many times you did did you do Ed Sullivan? And we were lucky enough to do it four times. Wow! Uh, just wow! And I well, it, Dave Clark five did it thirty-five times. Yeah, that's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. yeah. And 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 quite frankly, and and uh, this is all due respect to them. They still, uh, in my mind, didn't have the career that you guys had. Um, you know, maybe it's just my my regional uh, situation here. And they had a great career. The Dave Clark Five had a great career. But the Rascals are are sacred around Long Island. And I grew up on Long Island and in and around New York City. For some reason, you know, maybe it's because you broke in the Hamptons. But uh, you you guys are just sacred, and people you know have stories, and people have 
love stories about you and and Dino and Eddie Felix. I, there's there's just something about the rascals that that Long Island has uh, has embraced. You know, this will be our fifty fifth anniversary playing Westbury. Wow. We played we played Westbury Music Fair when it was the music tent. It wasn't even a building; it was a tent. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, just I, I, does it seem like a long time ago? Does it seem like yesterday? Uh, what what is it for you? Well, I've had three or four lives since then. So, <laughs> but we are we are enjoying uh, playing with the Vanilla Fudge uh, at at that date. And Westbury. Oh, oh, wow! That's a nice. See, they're they're another band that's uh, uh, that uh, seems like it has Long Island roots, and uh, and and they really don't, right? I mean, they're the, the you know. Well, they were all from, they were from Long Island, mostly. Queens. That's they. That no, well, that, no, that was the vagrants who are from Queens, but uh, Finola Fudge, drummer of Carmine, was from Brooklyn, but the guys were all mostly from Long Island. And they got their break at the action house. Yeah, I, I mean, when you do something like this, especially if you're doing it with Vanilla Fudge, uh, it it has to feel almost like a reunion. I imagine um, so many people in that audience have seen you that many times over the 55 years, right? Have uh, have you have seen you so many times? Um, I imagine your 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 after party and your before party. I you, you're going to get inundated with uh, with people you haven't seen in years. Well, yeah, it'll be it'll be good to see old friends and new friends, and, uh, and just tell everybody thank you for supporting us. Let me remind folks: November thirteenth is the day uh, for Old Westbury, and uh, Gene Cornish is our very special guest. Uh, just a, a wonderful musician, and um, he and Felix uh, will be performing live in concert Sunday. November 13th. See, I have a note in front of me that says November 3rd, and I know before I said November 3rd by accident. It's November 13th. If you're going to 3rd, you'll be a little early. <laughs> yeah, you could wait. You can make sure you get front row if you're there on the 3rd. But I, I actually, by then, you won't be able to get front row. Uh, anyway, the theater at, at uh, Old Westbury. Uh, what, what stands out to you uh, highlight-wise? I mean, to me... Uh, from the outside, not being a member of the band, the Ed Sullivan performances, the four uh, Ed Sullivan performances are, are a big deal, but that's me as a fan. Uh, w what about you and, and the, well, speaking for yourself, uh, what stands out to you career-wise? You know, having a second number one, Good Lovin' was our first number one. Uh, Groovin' was our second number one in 1967, and that enabled me to buy my parents the house in Westbury. That was one of the highlights of my career. Just yeah, just uh, honestly, just absolutely uh, an amazing career that you've uh, put together. Uh, have you stayed close to uh, to home? I mean, are you uh, are you a Jersey guy? Do you do you live? Yeah, in I, I live, yeah, I, li I live in Jersey. I live in North Jersey, uh, across from the city. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, there's uh, there's only so much you could. Uh, uh, you know, really, uh, really say about people who not only forget, don't forget where they're from. They, uh, uh, they, uh, they stay there and they, uh, they continue uh, to live there. Listen, congratulations! It's uh, it's been an amazing career. Uh, tell us anything we should know about anything beyond Westbury uh, of what's going on. Do you do you have any extended dates uh, coming? We, on? we we 
We start on November 11th at the St. George Theater in Staten Island, in New Haven on the 12th, Westbury on the 13th, Morristown, New Jersey on the 16th, Atlantic City on the 18th, Rochester, my hometown, New York on the 19th, and Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania on the 20th. And that'll end, that'll end that short tour. Well, Gene Cornish, congratulations on an amazing career, and uh, I can't wait to see you on the 13th. Look forward to meeting you, Frank. Thank you, and thank you to all the fans for coming. Uh, do you ha do you have a website or a social media site you want to share with us? Uh, you know what? I don't even deal with that. I don't know. Gotcha. We, uh, the they Rascals can find you. have a website. The Rascals, the Rascals easy enough to find the Rascals uh, official Rascals. Uh, Frank McKay signing off. Gene Cornish has been our very special guest. You can see him and Felix Cavalieri at. Westbury and uh, with the Vanilla Fudge, who uh, just another great band, uh, absolutely uh, tremendous. November 13th, Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone. To breaking it down, Frank McKay here with someone who, uh, boy, he's got—I uh, got to keep it clean—but boy, he's got nerve, he's got guts, and uh, he's absolutely terrific to watch on TV. And we've been watching him in the Australia Wild Outback, and uh, he sends chills up your spine. But he is absolutely terrific, and uh, we're talking about Wild Croc Country. I'm sorry, Wild Croc Territory, and it's streaming on Netflix. And if you're not watching it, you're making a big mistake. Matt Wright is here with us. He is uh, absolutely fearless, and his whole crew is just uh, amazing. And what uh, what they're doing to relocate these crocs, some of them are just absolutely gigantic. you got to watch it. It's on Netflix, and it's a, a must-watch. Wild Croc Territory. Uh, Frank McKay here. More importantly, Matt Wright, how are you? How are you, Matt? Did, did I lose you? Hello? Uh, you're not. You got me? You I me? got you now. How are you, Matt? Yeah, Roger. I'm good, thanks, Frank. Thanks, thanks for having me today. It's good. I'm sitting back in uh, in New York at the moment, so we're, <clears throat> we're doing a bit of a bit of a round around the uh, around the states. It's uh, it's nice to be here. <clears throat> Let me ask you: How long have you been doing this? And uh, and uh, what was your earliest first close call? Uh, with a croc, right, um, well, there's always a lot of close calls. Uh, we have uh, we we had the uh, side of a boat torn apart. About an 18 foot croc. We're trying to catch one night. We were coming up, we're sneaking up on him to catch him, and then everyone sort of backed out. We're only in about a 12 foot little little boat, little punt, and um, he came at us and and grabbed the side of the boat. It was only shallow water, and uh, tore the side of the boat out. Um, and then we're all sort of in the water at night time. Um, it, that was a very interesting moment while everyone's scrambling to the bank. I've, and I've been, I've been catching crocs now for over 20 years. Uh, and I've been catching and working with wildlife, trying to, you know, trying to protect and look after the wildlife and the habitat that I live in. I've been, I've been doing this for ever since I can remember. I, was, I had a passion as a kid and I followed it on as an adult. Matt, I got to believe you heard a lot of comparisons to Crocodile Dundee. Uh, was it a favorite of yours growing up, yeah. uh, the movie? 
Oh, definitely, and you know that's and that's the country we're in, and this you know this wild croc territory showcases a lot of what Crocodile Dundee, the show itself, was was filmed in. You know, it's in the top end of Australia. We're out near Kakadu National Park, where where a lot of this was filmed, where a lot of Crocodile Dundee was filmed. Um, we travelled to a lot of ranches, uh, which we call cattle stations in Australia. But um, yeah, it's. You, you, you get to see some of Australia that people never get to see, which is, you know, that's a highlight. And I'm really sort of getting behind the Northern Territory and promoting that and pushing pushing sort of a part of Australia that no one gets to see. Uh, what else do you see out there in in the outback? And, you know, I've been to, uh, I've been to Australia, but, I you know, I was uh, mostly around Sydney and the Blue Mountains and that, uh, that area. Uh, and uh, you know that uh, much different uh, from where you are. But what other wildlife do you see other than the crocs? Oh, there's there's abundance of wildlife. The bird life out there on the, you know, it's like the Everglades sort of set up where there's the the bird life is is out of control, <clears throat> and um, you've got so many so many other animals. You got buffalo, pigs, horse, wild brumbies, horses. Donkeys, camels, um, a lot of sort of small marsupials, kangaroos, wallabies. It just there's abundance of wildlife through that sort of country, and and that's all showcased on uh, wild crop territory. Yeah, and does it it does remind you of the Everglades? I would imagine, right? I mean, it's uh, it seems like the perfect climate for uh, for this size uh, reptile. Uh, how how uh, how close? Uh, for those of us who have been to the Everglades a lot, how close is the outback uh, in Australia to uh, to the Everglades? Yeah, I guess when, when people speak about the outback of Australia, they think about um, Ayers Rock and, and the desert, but the northern part of Australia is full of what we call flood floodplains, and um, and which is similar to the Everglades. It's just big, wide open. Um, uh, pastures, I guess you could say, and and during the wet season, which is coming up now, is um, it just floods, and you just get a sea of water coming across these um, these floodplains, which is similar to what you have in the Everglades. And it is instead of alligators, we got big saltwater crocodiles. It's you know, it's it's not there's not too much of a of a difference except the wildlife in the countryside. Uh, congratulations, Matt Wright, on Wild Croc Territory. Uh, before we uh, let you go, uh, what what do we uh, what do we have to look forward to for those who haven't streamed uh, and who haven't been uh, watching? Without spoiling, uh, what can you what can you give us? Give us a little taste uh, for those who haven't seen it yet. Oh well, well, there's a there's a lot there. Um, it's a family affair as well. So you've got Kaya, my wife, and Banjo, my son. We're all out there doing what we do, plus the team that I work with catching some of the world's biggest crocs. So we've got choppers, we've got boats, we've got big crocs, a lot of action, and you're seeing a lot of Australia that people have never seen. So um, get in there, go and watch Wild Croc Territory and um, enjoy it. Well, listen, uh, congratulations to your wife and Banjo, too. Uh, he's to raise a trooper. I'll tell you, he's growing up in front of the camera, but he's growing up in the uh, in the the outback, too, watching it. So he's the best. And uh, he, he's got to be three or four, right? Yeah. Somewhere around there? 
He's three now, yeah. Yeah, he was two when we filmed. Um, he's just hit his pins on three, and yeah, he's uh, he's definitely a little willful, willful kid. <laughs> he's uh, testing mum while I'm while I'm not there at the moment. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, he's the best, and the camera loves him and loves your wife and uh, a lovely family. Matt, uh, can you give us a website or a social media site before you leave us? Yeah, well, my social media is just uh, Matt Wright on Instagram there. Check that out. There's a lot of lot of posts there. I'm on TikTok as well. Um, have a look at that, and that's under Matt Wright as well. But, um, yeah, there's a lot, lot of little clips, and we're going to post a lot more of um, behind-the-scenes stuff on on the social so keep an eye out for that listen you do a great job and uh uh outback wrangler also on on nat geo we'll talk about that as we let you go matt wright thanks for being here thank you all right matt wright everyone wild croc territory and it's uh it's terrific Uh, you gotta watch it banjo's adorable what a cute little kid he's three years old and uh yeah, he gives the wife a hard time, that's for sure. And uh, he's, raise, he's raising him, uh, you know, in front of the camera and uh, the Australian outback. And, and again, you, you know, of course, you hear the, the accent, and he's in New York. The first thing you think of is Crocodile Dundee, right? <laughs> it just, uh, you, you can't get any, any closer uh, to it. But he's got a whole crew with him there, and they're, uh, you know, these guys are fearless. I... You know, I, I seen, I've seen a lot of crocs, and I've seen a lot of gators. I've been all over the, the world uh, looking at, uh, at wildlife, not shooting it, but, uh, but watching it and taking pictures and video and all of that. But I've been, uh, you know, to 60 countries, six, uh, six continents, not Antarctica. Almost got to Antarctica a couple of times and uh, in all 50 uh, U.S. states and and I, I look all over for, for the wildlife and go to the obvious places. But these guys relocate crocodiles uh, for, uh, for a living. And, and, of course, they're filming it. And, I, yeah, they, they've got a very exciting, very uh, some chilling experiences uh, caught on tape. And, you know, again, hey, look, good TV. It's good TV, and he's a, uh, he's a tough guy, and... All of these guys have nerves of steel, and uh, you know I, I I see these these animals, but I see them from a distance. I see them in a car or or uh, you know good distance from the shore. Uh, the only place to see crocodiles in, in in the United States is in the Everglades. There's this place called Flamingo. They call it Flamingo. There's a, the old Flamingo Hotel in the Everglades. Uh, Glades. I think it's closed down now, but uh, there's a gigantic croc that hangs out there. I mean, it's gigantic, absolutely gigantic. And, and you see him, he comes up on the boat slip, and um, he or she, I, I forget, but it's this one in general. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here uh, with the author of uh, a new book that is a must get. 
and uh, everyone has got to get got two of them. In fact, get one for yourself and get one for someone who loves football, and especially if they have a kid that's playing football in high school, college. Uh, five star QB is a compilation of a bunch of interviews that Yogi Roth has done um, over the uh, over the years. And uh, 50 quarterbacks of, uh, you know, from different high schools and college uh, on their different experiences. But it's a, a very insightful book. It's getting rave reviews. Uh, without further ado, let me introduce to you the Emmy Award winning uh, Pac-12 football analyst. Uh, you, you heard his work or you saw his work rather um, with USC as an assistant coach there. Yogi Roth, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, and uh, you, you got to be excited by the response you're getting from this book. Everyone's raving about it, and and like I said, especially uh, people that have have kids that are going through the process uh, may want to uh, uh, get into this book. But really, anybody anybody who wants to get into the psychology of what it takes to win uh, should get this book. Give us a little overview. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, um, yeah I'm really proud of this book. You know, it's done well, to your point. Um, and, and it's not because of what myself or the co-author, Joey Roberts, wrote. It's because of the people we pulled together to bring this book to life. So to kind of set the stage for the book, high school recruiting is a multi-billion dollar business. I see the top high school quarterbacks in the country every single year for almost 20 years now. Um, I've been around this game for over 20 years at a high level. And what I learned and what my co-author and I, Joey, recognized was and there's, there's really not a place you can Google to figure out how to be a five-star quarterback or a walk-on quarterback or a parent of those individuals. I said, all right, we got to create a book that can serve as a tribe of mentors for anybody going through this process. So we said, okay, let's go do this. So we figured out you know, our questions and our chapters, and then we went to market and we said to 50-plus quarterbacks that are huge names, played in the NFL, played in college, were big high school recruits, said, hey, can you offer advice? And they all said, heck yeah. And then we took all their advice and curated it into 600 pages around recruiting, around committing, decommitting, around mental health, around dealing with women on a college campus, around dealing with their own families as they go through this journey, around money. You name the topic, we unearthed it. And then we layered in advice from people like Pete Carroll, David Shaw, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, uh, Chip Kelly. You gotta go up and down the list, over 40 head coaches offered advice, the Holinsky family, whose son tragically committed suicide years ago at Washington State as a starting quarterback, Brenda Tracy, who was gang raped by football players on a college campus years ago. So let's get real about everything you're going to deal with. And we put it all together to pour into young quarterbacks, young recruitable athletes and their families to give them a guidepost of sorts. And we know it's doing that. And I think the third part that I really have enjoyed is that fans are reading this book and saying, oh, my God, I can't believe I blew up so-and-so's timeline. I can't believe I sent him this DM. I, he's a human being, and his experience wasn't perfect. And I think that's been really fun for us to humanize these quarterbacks to a degree. Uh, Yogi, do you see, uh, I mean, other than athletic ability, do you see a common trait uh, between the, the folks who who make it the guys who have gone out there and made it uh, as top recruits as uh, as uh, opposed to the, the folks that uh, kind of die on the vine, um, you know, after uh, college? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, let's just get two out of the way. One is you have to be an elite passer. All right. I, I think that could take it for granted in terms of I could hit spots or I could hit areas. The guys that are still playing hit spots, right? You have to be an insane competitor. And I say that because some guys aren't. They just don't love it like that. Right. So, so take those two, two things off the table. And what I net out after that is one is luck, right? Like, do you stay healthy? Does your coach get fired? You know, who gets brought in in the transfer portal right behind you? you know, there's a lot of that that plays into this thing. Did you pick the right college, the right system? A lot of guys don't, right? And then I think I net out at the one controllable. And the phrase I like to use is, are you a seeker? So what does that mean? Well, to me, if you're a seeker, that means you're finding ways to continue to better yourself on the field, off the field, in between your two years. And in this era of technology, you can find it anywhere. What's it like to be Tom Brady? He's got five, six documentaries about himself. I need to know, understand uh, psychological skills. Let me look up Dr. Michael Gervais, who was a Seahawks high-performance psychologist for over a decade. Like, whatever it is that you need is there. And to me, the, the ones that have made it, they have the unique ability to continue to seek, ask questions, wonder why, remain curious, curious about balance and compete to have some of that off the field. Like that to me is the word that I continue to come back to. The new book is Five Star QB. It's a must get everyone. We're with the, uh, the author, the co-author of this great book, uh, Yogi Roth and uh, thrilled to have him here, Frank McKay here, but much more importantly, Yogi Roth. Uh, Yogi, you, you mentioned Tom Brady. We all know he was a six-round draft pick. He kind of fell between the uh, the cracks uh, in, in college and then afterwards. A guy like Tony Romo wasn't drafted at all. Dak uh, Prescott, uh, what, fourth round? I, I mean, these, these guys that make it in spite of the hype coming out of, uh, coming out of college – uh, do you see? Uh, do you address that in the book at all? And uh, is is that a different? Uh, well, I mean that's almost a rhetorical question, but is that a, a different mindset than the guys going in with the big hype? Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! I, I look. I love rankings for what they are. Right? I'm a part of it. I'm a broadcaster. Like we talk about them all day long on signing day, etc. But when you look at the numbers, it doesn't pan out, right? There's 134 quarterbacks who've been five-star guys. None of them are anybody that you referenced coming out of high school. Yeah. 51% of them transferred once, 14% transferred twice. Out of all those players, and the definition of five-star is, quote-unquote, a franchise player, somebody who can change the face of a franchise. There's only one quarterback out of those 134 that's ever won a Super Bowl as a starter. It's Matthew Stafford, year 13, team two. Wow. So, yeah, you're exactly right. The pressure that Josh Rosen felt compared to Sam Darnold, two guys, same recruiting class, left college after three years. To this day, there's different pressure associated with Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold. And I'm fully convinced because I was there when Rosen was named a five-star guy and watched the ascension of Sam Darnold from a three-star multi-sport athlete who didn't even start as a junior in high school because he was injured. It's just dramatically different. So, yeah, I think the road is much easier for three-star players. I'd recommend you to be a three-star. The counter to that is, well, we live in a world now where you can get NIL deals, where you can get paid as a high school player. Quinn Ewers got paid as a high school recruit, right? He ended up leaving high school early to go to college to get paid. So it's a tough dance. 
And I say that with empathy. So whether you're a five-star or a three-star, like you still need the tools. And that's what I hope this book can do. Yogi, congratulations on the book, but your whole career just uh, uh, doing great. And we're going to be talking about the book as we let you go. Uh, do you have a website or a social media site you want to give us? Yeah, you can just follow me at Yogi Roth. That's easy. And if you need help on the book, just go to 5-starqb.com. All the info is there. Yogi Roth, thanks for being here. Anytime. Yogi Roth, everyone. Uh, the the book is uh, is just terrific. It is a must get. Five star QB, and you know there's a, there's a lot there. I, I by the way, I don't even care if you're a sports fan. Just to kind of get a, a a take on on the pressure that's uh, that's coming onto or or get involved in uh, in being highly rated in anything. I mean, this is uh, what he does here. It's a real uh, it's, it's a real great look at uh, getting into. Uh, you know, parents, you know, I could see getting this book and understanding what's uh, what's going on. Uh, he, he's right. That last point he made about um, the uh, you'd rather be a three star than a uh, than a five star. You get that pressure taken off of you. But, uh, you know, the three guys I mentioned, now think about a Todi Romo who's making a fortune as an analyst now. You know, he never won the big one. Right? And that's what people uh, will will point to. But the guy was wasn't drafted. You know, he wasn't he wasn't Mr. Irrelevant, right? I wonder who Mr. Irrelevant was that year. That's the last player picked in the NFL draft, uh, seventh round, last pick of the the seventh round. And I don't know what it was when uh, Romo was uh, was was uh, drafted, uh, or wasn't drafted, I should say. But he didn't even make that. He didn't even make uh, the seventh round. And you know, he, uh, he he Bill Parcells, I guess, is the guy who who found him and. Um, he turned into a star. Could have, under different circumstances, won a Super Bowl. But uh, you know, the Dak Prescott. You know, he hasn't won the big one yet either. But I mean, still, he's uh, he's made a fortune off of being a fourth-round draft pick. You know, the big example always is uh, is uh, Drew Bledsoe. Uh, and you know, when he got uh, when he got uh, uh, knocked out, I think it was Mo Lewis who knocked him out, and uh, and it opened up the door. <laughs> for uh, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, who was uh, drafted sixth, uh, sixth round, rather, um, I think it was 199th pick or something like that. That means that every single team uh, passed on him at least five times, right? They could have got him in the fifth round. You looked at, you know, seven Super Bowls later and uh, winning Super Bowls later. Uh, just uh, absolutely amazing. But this is a, a great book to get. Yogi Roth is a um, is an Emmy Award-winning analyst, and the name of his book is Five Star QB. Uh, check him out. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays.